Okay. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 3 this morning as we take a little bit of a break from our Gospel of John uh, sermon series because we're beginning to ramp up for something as a church. As we look for recommendations of those who uh, meet the qualifications of shepherding God's flock here at Knollwood. God has blessed us deeply with men who desire to do these things and who are seeking to be those types of men. But as we get ready for that, I think it's prudent and important to remind each other, ourselves, of why it's so important that Paul, the Apostle Paul, God himself, took some time to tell us and to lay out the qualifications for the men who are to lead God's church, his church, and shepherd them as well. So in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7 is where we're going to be together as a church. And as we do that, please follow along with me. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3 says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or... He may become puffed up and conceited and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I just thank you so much for being able to gather together to praise your name and to have our eyes lifted up to who you are and what you have done for us, how you died for us, rose again, ascended to heaven, and will one day return. I thank you for the reminder of that hope. And Lord, as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to teach us through your word. I pray that you would be glorified and honored Lord, there's no possible way that I could possibly do this on my own. So, Lord, will you make this turn out well for your glory? Will you use this sermon, Lord, to bring joy to your people and salvation to lost and glory to your name? Amen. We are coming up, as I was saying, at that time of the year where we begin to think about men who meet the qualifications of what it means to be a shepherd of God's flock here at Knollwood. And that's why we're going to take some time to just reflect upon what that office is and what type of men are to be there. But what does it mean to be a godly man? And lucky for us, we don't have to guess. That's how it works. God lays it out for us in his word. I'll be using the word elder throughout this time. An elder is a shepherd. And we have been diligent, diligently moving towards that plurality of elders as ourselves as a church, understanding that biblically there are a plurality. There's multiple elders within the church and seeking to raise up men who will fill that role. There are paid elders and unpaid elders within the Bible. We can see that even in First Peter and other letters and even in this passage, the word for elder 
pastor, bishop are all used to describe the same office. So before you turn off your brain and say, well, pastor, I am not going to be an elder. There's a reason why it's in the Bible for everyone. So please don't turn off your head or your ears or your hearing aids or whatever you do. Yeah, there's a whole roll laughing. Which makes me wonder if this happens regularly. This quest, these qualifications that are listed are good tools of self-assessment of our own Christian maturity. You want to know if you're growing in Christ? You want to know what it means to be a good Christian, regardless of whoever you are? Look at this list. Anytime you see the qualifications of what it means to be a leader within the church, those are qualifications that have been taken from other places in the Bible of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Elders are to be living like this before they become an elder. Not any other time after. So these are the people who are seeking to grow in Christ. So let me, let, let this be the grid to answering this question. Am I growing in Christian maturity? Regardless of whoever you are. But as we walk through this passage, I want you to have a thought in the back of your mind. What leaders are as a microcosm is what the church will be as a macrocosm. If you want, if you're looking at a church and you're trying to figure out why in the world are they like that, you can look at their leaders and they will, that will give you your answer. So Paul purposely comes and says, a man who leads the church, men who lead the church, are to, be, are to exemplify Christ-likeness. Why? Because the leaders of the church are a microcosm of what the church will be as a macrocosm. So first things first, as we look at this passage, in verse 1, he comes on and says, The saying is trustworthy, i.e., listen up. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The saying is trustworthy, that, the, the, that for men who wish to be overseers in the church must be these things. But what is an overseer? An overseer is an elder. An elder leads, directs, governs, manages, and cares for the flock of God. Titus 1 verse 7 says this, For an overseer as God's steward, he says, must be above approach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. They are household managers, someone with official responsibility over the master's servants, property, and even finances. Elders are stewards of God's household, the local church. That's, why it mean, that's what it means to be an overseer. They are to supervise. They are to manage the church. That's why it's important that not only are they that do they want to be an elder, but they, they continue to aspire to be one by showing these qualifications. If we as a church want to grow in Christ-likeness, we need to make sure that those who are shepherding the flock are exhibiting Christ-likeness. 
So many people think of elders as a church board, as church board members, or some sort of board members of a corporation who are separate and distinct from the professional or the ordained pastor. This is not what we see here. This mentality makes those unpaid, the lay elders, advisors, or committee men, or executives, or directors, and I can't stress this enough, that's not what the Bible says. So, what's the first step in finding men to serve as elders? Is that they must desire this noble task. They must aspire, meaning that they, uh, they uh, eagerly desire to accomplish some goals or purpose. They are aspiring to be these things. Some men want, to be, want the office, but their want is really just a lust of power, and, and they just don't fit. Some men are fit for the office, but they think that, that wanting is prideful or ungodly ambition or impolite because we're Canadian. Some men are qualified but don't have a desire. Maybe because they don't have the desire, they think they, they, they aren't the super elder that is needed. But aspire to have these qualities is godly. That's the flow of the passage. The Apostle Paul comes and says, this is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Verse 2 says, therefore, and lays out these qualifications. The men who want to aspire to be an elder are seeking to practice the character qualities that we see here. Is that not what something that God would want? Is that not something that God would want for us, all of us, to grow in Christ's likeness? I don't know, to be disciples of Christ, Christ learners? but it is a thing to be desired. Can you imagine what Noah would look like if every person was seeking to show these characteristics? Would you imagine what that would do to our witness as we go out into this city, this broken city that desperately needs Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Imagine what it would look like if we all sought to be what God has called us to be, what would that do to the displaying of the beauty of the gospel? The Apostle Paul says it's a noble, it's good, it's fine, it's praiseworthy. Some men and their wives have this impression that leadership is a burden, and that's it. It is a burden, but it's not just that. That it's a headache or necessary evil and others may look at leadership with suspicion like a used car salesman. I apologize to anybody who is that. But we all know to be an elder. But it is a noble thing. It is something to be sought after. The Bible says it is a noble task. And even for those who aspire, motives still need to be looked at. So why do you want to lead? What about an elder appeals to you is a question that needs to be asked in your mind. Men, if you, are got, if you get a sheet, there's sheets in the back. If you get a sheet of a, a deacon recommendation and you are thinking, maybe I should, maybe I should not, ask yourself these questions. Why? 
And how is it noble? It's noble because the task is beautiful and a privilege. To be an elder is a noble task because those who lead get to model Christ to his church. And as we're modeling Christ, we get to display the beauty of the gospel, that we have been saved by God's amazing grace. We've been taken out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Is there not any more noble thing than to proclaim with everything we have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we can't do any of these things without the Holy Spirit working in us. So as we grow in these characteristics, it is a noble task. It is beautiful and the privilege because these men get to radiate the gospel. It is a noble task because it is necessary. Jesus himself designed the church in such a way that it requires godly leadership. Without shepherds, the sheep wander in all sorts of ways. Have you ever seen a flock without a shepherd? Nope because it doesn't work because sheep and I'm just going to leave that at that if you have a farmer if you know a farmer go talk to them God wants the church to radiate the gospel to a broken world and part of that is having men who actually want to lead lead Men who are seeking to have the character of one who is walking with Jesus, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that is the first thing. If you want to be an elder, you need to want to be one. Because if you want to be one, you're going to seek to meet these qualifications. And regardless if you're going to be one or not, that brings glory to God. And the last thing we need are men leading the church who have their arms twisted to be in the position. There are some churches who do lots. So everybody who's in membership of that church start drawing lots. And, and whoever gets the lot is the one who gets to preach. Right? And I heard a story not too long ago of this happening in a church. And the lot went on somebody who wasn't even saved. It's amazing. So even in this broken system of selecting men who are to shepherd the flock, God actually used that broken system to bring people to himself because what happened when that man who did not know Jesus started preaching the gospel, he was suddenly convicted of his need of a savior. He's actually saved and he's a pastor of that church. But that's not how... That's not the norm. Our job is to make sure that anybody who steps into the office of overseer meets the qualifications. That's our job as members of this church. They would do that. But the second thing in verses 2 to 5 is they must have a character of an elder. They must be above reproach. It's, this is a general statement with what... Uh, what Sorry, with what that actually looks like in it being listed below. It's an external, personal reputation that would be a credit to the church. The focus of the list is not on gifting, but on character. Did you see that? We're not looking at a bunch of guys who can run a business well. 
We're not looking at how, how much money their business is bringing in or all of the things that they've achieved. We're not looking at their ability to even speak well. We're looking at their giftings. Or, sorry, their character. It's not that gifting doesn't matter. As we see later, it talks about being able to teach. But it's not the whole and even the main thing that Paul here is looking at. To be above reproach means that being an elder involves much more than simply being a good person. There are many men who seek to make themselves into compelling people, but the text makes clear that what the church truly needs is men of compelling holiness. See, elders can't teach what they can't do. They can't, with credibility, stand before God's people and tell them what they ought to be and to do if they themselves are not what God has told them to be and to do. And this is why the baseline qualification for, for those who are in eldership is exemplary character. They must be a husband of one wife, literally a man of one woman. He is, if he is married, if he is married, he must be faithful to her. The elder must be faithful to his wife in a monogamous relationship. To be a one-woman man means that you can't be promiscuous or in a homosexual relationship. This man must have a clear and consistent pattern of honor, love, and devotion to his wife alone, meaning you can't be addicted to porn. You know what the major issue is in our church? is the porn addiction, not the church. Pray for our young men. They can't be a flirtatious man who's always flirting with other women. They must be sober-minded, not drunk, but clear-minded. They must have good judgment. They aren't known for rash decisions. Not that the person is, they're, they're not the person who's always freaking out. You know that person that's always freaking out? They need to be sober-minded. Why? Because our Lord is abounding in love, mercy, and grace. They must be self-controlled, being in control of oneself, prudent and thoughtful. So what would it look like if we looked at your browser history? If you are on the internet. Or your book history, sure. What would it look like if we looked at your phone screen usage? This is talking about a man who is controlled not by passions or lust or idolatries, but by the Spirit of God. They have to be respectable. Do people around you admire you? Do they delight in you? This is the outward overflow of your character. They must be hospitable. Is this man's home open to care for the needs of others? Your home should not be closed off to those who need material help. For example... You know, if we see and hear of people who are lonely and need help, are you the type of person that they can call up and say, hey, do you mind if I come over and hang out with you for a bit? Do they follow you around as they, even as you clean your house? Notice that the qualifications have nothing to do with cleanliness of your home. Sometimes we go, oh, we can't have people over because it's not clean. Let them see your mess. 
there are all issues of character that this passage is talking about. And the next qualification is the only statement that isn't based upon character but skill is the next one that they must be able to teach. They have to be someone skilled in teaching Christian doctrine. Titus 1 verse 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 2 to 5, it says this, correcting his opponents with what gentleness? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth. It's about the ability to teach with faithful instruction of what is in the Bible but also with faithful confrontation. You need to be a guy with a backbone. If, man, if men who lead are unable to do that, wrong teaching seeps in. You ever wonder about the churches around us where you're kind of like, what is going on there? Why are they teaching that? Why do they hold to that? Why do they agree to that? Well, it's because they allowed men to lead who did not know the Bible who are willing to compromise, who are maybe wanted to be the nice guy and didn't want to hurt someone's feelings by confronting their sin. The elders are the gatekeepers and need the ability and the guts to confront wrong teaching with gentleness. Why? Because our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't allow sin to go without being confronted. He doesn't. And this is shown in the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again. If Christ, if, if sin was so bad that Jesus Christ had to die on the most horrific death ever known on the cross for you and me, for those who repent and believe, should we not care about that the same way? How well do you know the Bible? How well can you answer doctrinal questions and dismantle error? I'm not asking for theological terminology. I'm not asking, we're not asking, can you define what sortiriology is? When someone laughs. Are the wells of your mind deep enough for others to draw from? How well can you teach, counsel others from the God's word? Can you lead people to become more conformed to Christ? And really, folks, that is what I desire for all of us. That our understanding of who Christ is and his word, that our minds would be deep enough in that, that anybody can come to us and say, hey, I need some counsel. And instead of giving some sort of Oprah Winfrey sort of advice, we would actually go to the Bible, which is useful for all things, and give people their advice. They can't be a drunk as he continues on. A man can't be controlled by the spirit while enamored. Ephesians 5, 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. They can't be a, a violent man. He can't be a brawler. He can't be a bully, an abuser, or whatever. But on the other hand, they must be gentle. Again, how they treat those closest to themselves is the way they will treat the church. And if you've noticed, all of these characteristics can only be displayed if you actually know the person. If you're only meeting with that individual for an hour on Sunday, and most of that hour is them, we're all kind of in our own little bubbles, 
how well do you know them? Now, if you've been invited into their home on a regular basis, you can see how they interact with their family, how they treat their children or their wife. You've probably seen their Netflix viewing history at some point. Because as he says later on, he must be gentle. We're talking about a gracious, forbearing attitude. It's the idea of not insisting on every right of letter of the law or custom, yielding, being gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant, but we aren't talking about someone who winks at or celebrates sin, but is a man who is clear-headed about sin and righteousness, but isn't judgmental or pharisaical. Why? Because Jesus Christ is gentle and lowly. Not quarrelsome. They don't pick fights not contentious, peaceful. This is something myself I've struggled with over the years. I don't need to always say my opinion. It's time to just shut up and listen sometimes. Not a lover of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, as 1 Timothy 6 says. This is why the love of money can't reign in the hearts of the ones who are shepherding God's flock. In verse 4, we see that he must manage his own household well. Those who lead the church must look after their own home. Their home must be exemplary, not perfect. Because I'm a parent. It's not perfect. But an elder leads his home and disciplines his children with diligently. And that attention to discipline will show to a certain degree in the behavior of their children. With all dignity, they, he says, keeping his children submissive. When the children of that man are unruly, it shows a big lack in loving discipline and managerial order in the home. If the sin of their children is not being addressed in the home, how could they possibly do that within the church? The buck stops with the head of the household. He is the one who must lead the charge to make sure that righteousness exists in the home. Why does this matter? Because he is to do the very same thing among the church. And if he's not doing it at home, he's not going to be doing it here. It's like when a woman, if you're ever getting to the point where you're dating a guy, and you're like, ooh, he's so cute. Because that's, we all know, that's how it goes. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's always like attractiveness first, and then we get into the heart. It is with the guys too. But just imagine this, if you're going out with a guy, maybe you've been going out, or as I learned, what was it called? Going together. I love that. We should start bringing that back. Going together, right? Yeah. If you're going with a guy, and you're getting together with him, and you see him interact with his mom or his sister's, and he's treating them like dirt. Don't expect anything less with you. And the same thing is with this. 
See, we need, Knollwood needs leadership, management, governance, guidance, counsel, and vision. That's why elders need to prove themselves as good managers of their home. Elders need to be managers and leaders. They clarify direction and belief for the church. Elders need to set goals and make decisions, give direction, correct failures, affect change, and motivate people. Elders need to evaluate. They need to plan. They need to govern. So elders need to be problem solvers, managers of people, planners, and thinkers. That's what comes out of men who manage their households well. But in verse 5, it says, For if someone does not know, as he says, that home is the proving ground of a man's leadership potential here at the church. If a man can't maintain order and discipline in his own home, he won't be able to do it in the church. So remember, God desires that the church would radiate the gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken world. And he uses faithful men of Christ-like character to lead the church in that. It affects our witness as we go out into this world. We are called to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we need men who will help us in that. Biblical eldership is dependent on on men who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If biblical leadership is going to work, it requires men who are firmly committed to God's principles of discipleship. A way of seeing it, if he is, is by looking at his life. And we do that as even current shepherds of this church. We sit down with those who are prospective elders and we ask them the hard questions. We ask their wives the hard questions. Does your husband, what's he like at home? What's he like? Can he teach? Is he managing the house well? How does he interact with the kids? If you succeed in a bunch of areas of business or ministry, can boast of great numbers, and can relish in your great position, but you fail to win at home, you have not succeeded at all. God's metrics are different than the world's. But we struggle with applying our world metrics to God's church, and God says, no, nah, that's not how it's going to work. God is concerned with a church that radiates the gospel, and we need men who exemplify character, Christ-like character, that will lead the church so that we can radiate the beauty of the gospel to a broken world. London's a broken city, and we need churches that are radiating the gospel. Do you meet the biblical qualifications for elders? What are, you bes- what are your besetting sins? If everyone in the church followed your example, would the church be more holy or less? In verses 6 to 7, he talks about the endurance of an elder. Here we see the importance of an enduring faith, which is only proved through time. That's why he says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. But my question has always been, hey, Paul, come on, give me some answers on an exact timeline, please. What do you mean recent? A month? Six? Ten years? Give us a timeline. But the point here 
Has there been enough time that has gone by that the man who is aspiring to be an elder has proven the above character traits? There needs to be enough time to prove character. Faithfulness and good character over time is the proof. And when this proof of endurance is lacking, there is a risk that an overseer, an elder, or pastor might become prideful in their position. Here we are talking about the endurance of faith. And as he continues on in verse 7, not only must they endure in their, self, in their faith, but they must also be thought of well by outsiders meaning by those outside the body of the local church. So if someone were to come to you and say, hey, give me a list of three co-workers. Or, hey, can I have your address and can I talk with your neighbors? What would they say? What would those who are outside the family of God say up to your character? He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. If a man has a bad reputation outside the church, the witness of the entire church is damaged. There must be consistent character across the board. Do you aspire to be an elder? I praise God for you. I do. Doesn't mean you're going to be one, but praise God. Because if you're aspiring to be an elder within the church here at Knollwood, that means that you are going, you're seeking to fulfill the characters that are listed here. And like I said, what would happen to us as a church if all of us sought to be that? What would our witness be in this broken city? How much more would the gospel just be proclaimed? How much more would the beauty of the gospel be out there? Hey, look at my life. Look at what I was like before Jesus. But now look at my life that Jesus has grabbed hold of my life. Look what he has done in my life. I can't be these things. I have an anger problem. I used to be, uh, not me personally, I used to beat my wife. Not me. Ask my wife about what it was like before Jesus took my dirty life out of the pits of darkness and brought it into the marvelous light. Ask her about it. I'm not ashamed of the past. I praise God for what he's doing in my life now. I don't have it all together. I used to have a porn issue. I used to always be opinionated. I used to hate having people over at my house. whatever it may be. I used to love money. I used to work 60, 75 hours a week just so I could get my boat that I didn't have enough time to use. I used to neglect my family. But God saved me. And if he saved me, he can save you. Because he can save to the outermost, as Hebrews says. The outermost. You see how what happens when we have men and us as a whole church begin to exemplify Christ-like character in our lives. It's not just the list, but it affects our witness. Because God's desire for the church is to radiate the gospel to a broken world, and he uses faithful men to lead us to do just that. So why are these characteristics so important? 
because they are what has been shown in the life of the one we call Lord of our life. And those who lead the body of Christ need to be ones who exemplify Christ. God desires the church to radiate, to radiate the gospel to a broken world. And he uses faithful men to lead us to do that. Think about what a radiator does. If you've ever seen one, I don't know. There's uh, probably kids here that have never seen one. I'm not old enough, and if you're younger than me, we'll be gracious, right? But think about what a radiator does. It's radiating what's inside of it. There's a boiler that heats up the water, and it sends it in, and then it all, heal, it all makes it hot. You could, you, could, you could put your wet clothes over it or your, or your mitts, which it's snow today, folks, or your mitts over it, and it would make them all dry. It's radiating what is inside. It's giving off heat to that which is around it. And God desires the church to radiate the gospel into a broken world, and he uses faithful men to lead us to do that. And this is important for us as members of this church, because what leaders are as a microcosm is what the church will be as a macrocosm. Paul wants the church to radiate the gospel. These are men who are the main bulwark. I love that word, bulwark. <laughs> That's the song we should have closed with. Against false teaching in a church as they contend faithfully for the gospel. Biblical church leadership is important because without it, God's people are like sheep without a shepherd. And your job as members of this church is to ensure that the men who lead meet these qualifications. Biblical eldership cannot exist in an atmosphere of nominal Christianity. There can be no biblical eldership in a church where there is no biblical Christianity. If, a, if biblical eldership is to function effectively, it requires men who are firmly committed to our Lord's principles of discipleship. Biblical eldership is dependent on men who seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6. Men who, have present, who present themselves as living sacrifices to God and slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12. Men who love Jesus Christ above all else and willingly sacrifice self for the sake of others. Men who love as Christ loved. Men who are self-disciplined and self-sacrificing. And men who have taken up the cross and are willing to suffer for Jesus. That's a great quote from Alexander Strach. We aren't looking for perfection we aren't looking for people who do things the way that we want. We're not looking for yes men. We're looking for men who love God and love his people. Who are, you, who are you seeking to be men who can say, follow me as I follow Christ? So men, before you agree to that recommendation, members, before you recommend someone, ask if everyone in our church followed that person's example. Will the church become more holy or less? Because God's desire is the church to radiate the gospel to a broken world, and we need to be holy people to do that. And as we look at for reliable, faithful men, God lays out for us the, the, 
lays out for us the men that we should be looking for. And I want you to hear this. This is so important. Because again, leaders are a microcosm of what the church will be as a macrocosm. Paul wants a church to radiate the gospel. And as a church, our mission is to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as Paul outlines the directives of the overseers in Ephesus, he lays out that the overseers, elders, shepherds, reputation, marriage, self-mastery, ministry, temperance, temperament, money, family, maturity, and reputation. We aren't looking for men who are good guys, who are just good guys. Or successful in business or whatever other worldly standards we use I could really care less how much your business has grown we are looking for these graces that have been cultivated in the lives of these men why because that is what will help us as a church be what we are called to be it is through these types of men that the gospel is adorned beautifully before a lost world we're not looking for board members i've used that term and been catching myself lately we don't want board members we want men who are exemplifying christ they must be able to teach the faith they must have exemplary character and family life And all these characteristics together describe the qualifications for faithful ministry. See, God desires the church to radiate the gospel to a broken world, and he's using faithful men to to lead us in that way. So where do we start? I got two things that I'm asking you to do. Pray, please, a lot. Pray for those who are currently shepherding our flock. And praise God for men like Dave Noble and Keith Albion and Chuck Selby as they seek to be the men who lead and shepherd. For Pastor Matt, may they continue to grow in these areas so we as a church may adorn the beauty of the gospel to a lost world. Pray for me. You always feel like selfish to put yourself in there, but I'm going to. Pray that we, would be, that we would continue to be faithful in discipling our, our people so that we can seek together to exemplify Christ. And out of that, that men would step up to the plate. More men that would desire this noble task. Ask the questions. Take notes of them. Are they regularly attending the church service? Are they showing up to members' meetings? Are they the men who are already doing the job of an elder, even though they don't have the office? Do they show respect and trust to existing leadership who work to understand the direction pursued by the leadership, who ask good and appropriate questions in appropriate settings, and who avoid creating confusion or dissension in public meetings? It can't be someone who causes disunity within the body. Be patient and note those men who who have evidence of that desire over time. Watch for them, encourage them, observe the desire in fruitful seasons and in dry times when he is faithful, when God is faithful and 
when things just seem so hard. When he's full of joy and when he is sorrowful, watch them. Read the qualifications here and ask yourself and the men you think should be in that office, does my life, does this person's life, does his life line up? There's a couple of great books that we have in our library called How to Find Faithful Deacons and Elders. I thought it was, I read this years ago. It was a great book. By Thabiti and Abobwell. Sure. Good, good book. And it has great questions in every chapter. There's another one here where you're like, Pastor, why do we keep talking about elders? Why elders? But then I'm also walking with this with another young man, another man who's a pastor, just started off in ministry called The Path to Being a Pastor. And it just walks through the biblical qualifications for that and defining more clearly what does it mean to aspire. Deacon recommendation forms are online and you can pick them up at the back. But remember, as men, as, as, uh, that we are seeking men who exemplify Christ-likeness. Because God desires the church to radiate the gospel to a broken world, and he uses faithful men to lead us in that way. So pray. I beg you to pray. Just pray for the men who are leading currently. Don't complain to God about them. Pray for them. Pray also that we as a church would be faithful in raising up other young men who will fulfill that position. And pray thirdly that we all together would exemplify Christ to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, wherever God may have us. Let us continue to worship God through singing together. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and the reminder of what we have in your word. Uh, Lord, I pray for our men. I pray for myself. I pray for Keith Albion. I pray for Chuck. I pray for Dave Noble. Lord, I just pray that they would be men who exemplify Christ. I thank you for them and the blessing it is to serve alongside of them in the trenches of ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray as a church we would encourage our shepherds because you don't intend it to be discouraging, as Hebrews says. Lord, may we encourage them, spur them on. And Lord, I pray that as a church, as a whole, that we would be active in seeking to raise up other men who desire to fulfill this position and meet these qualifications. And I pray as a church that we would radiate the gospel to this broken world. God, may we go out declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And what better, what better witness is that as we speak those words that our lives match it as well. So may you be glorified as we continue to worship you. Amen.